Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Sorry about the delay. Very serious business. Couldn't be avoided. Uh, so, Rolling Stone came out with a particularly ridiculous article uh, this week. Now, it's always really hard to tell at this point what is satire and what is real. Uh, but Rolling Stone did come out with the article about why cancel culture is good for democracy. Again, I had to check several times to make sure that this was a real article, that this was not some kind of joke, but it does seem to be uh, very real. And we're going to kind of unpack this. We're going to look at the language being used, the frame being used, the rhetoric, who this is for, why they're saying what they're saying as we go through this. Now, Rolling Stone, of course, is a very ridiculous publication. It's been insane even since I was young. It hasn't been about music for a very long time. I don't think anyone reads it. It's it's just a boomer rag at this point. Uh, it's there to, to you know for the few people who still fondly associate it with some kind of you know discovering the the you know the Beatles or or the Doors or something. Uh, it's all about radical politics at this point. And so having a uh, article. Uh, it, about this is in there is not surprising at all. Uh, but Ernest Jones here has a piece about why uh, why cancel culture is good for democracy. So let's just go ahead and dive in and we'll stop and talk about uh, what he's doing here in just a minute. So for many years, cancel culture has been despised or misconstrued as a new phenomenon that's caused havoc on free expression and speech. We're supposed to know uh, or we're supposed to now assume that we uh, can't say or do anything without an angry mob instantly judging us and preparing to end our careers before they start. In fact, we are the people who make up the so-called mob and we have control of our own actions. So the first thing you want to notice is the fact that uh, of who this is being written for right now, Rolling Stone, again, solidly lib mag rapidly lib so right there, there's not some kind of mixed audience it doesn't have to appeal to anyone this is preaching directly to the choir and you can tell throughout this that he's not going to be making any appeals for persuasion this whole piece is here to kind of justify the actions that the left already want to take the left never cared about free speech no matter what people tell you no matter what even some of the refugees from the left bought into the truth is that the left was never interested in free speech but what they were interested in was power they wanted a way to break into america's institutions force their arguments and their ideas into the public square and then shut out any of the competitors now that the left is in power they're more than fine with with slamming the door behind them. They're not going to hold to some principle of free speech that they never cared about in the first place. So what you see here is he makes the assertion that, oh, well, we're supposed to be worried about angry mobs. They'll instantly judge us and, you know, get rid of our jobs and everything. Uh, well, actually, they do. They do that all the time. That's very common. The people who don't have to be worried about that are, of course, people who work for the left, work for left-wing magazines, have their articles printed in uh, the Rolling Stone. Those are the people who don't have to care about that. You notice that he says, we are the so-called mob. Well, you are. You're the so-called mob. No, not anyone who's going to be attacked by you. None of them are going to have any control over this. None of them are going to be able to limit the power of the mob. So it's easy for you to say, well, we, we can just control our own actions. Uh, no, you, you'll be in control of the mob. The people you're attacking won't have any input. Uh, cancel culture has leveled the playing field for those who can't always rely on the government to protect them. 
this this part here is particularly rich. Ready for this? Uh, right now, bigots are protected under the First Amendment. Oh no, not the bigots uh, under the First Amendment to fuel uh, under the First Amendment to fuel disgusting rhetoric without state-sanctioned consequences. So, this is just a direct call for the state to completely shut down speech, right? Like this is just direct call of, can you believe that people think free speech means that the state shouldn't be able to have direct consequences meted out by, you know, it's, it's arm, uh, it's law enforcement arm or something to people who have wrong think, right? So we're getting right into it here, right? We have to have cancel culture because the first amendment has failed, uh, you know, minorities or, or, you know, whatever, whatever protected class he's going to be going on about here. The America, the America that tolerated white supremacy. There we go. Watchword. It's always the key in their policies and laws is the same country that wants to remind us how, uh, how such forms of hate are still legal via free speech. So again, you're, you're allowed to have opinions, right? Like you're, you're, you're allowed to hate things again, you can disagree with people hating things. You can say that they shouldn't be doing that. You can disagree with their behavior, but this guy is just directly calling for wrong think penalties, right? How could you possibly have the right to hate people, to, to have a discussion? Now, of course he hates you, right? That's the great thing about these pieces. The, the, the lefties that are writing these things, they hate these people. They hate the people they're writing about. They hate the people they want to cancel. They want to destroy them. They hate red America. They hate Republican voters. They hate Donald Trump. They really do. And so they're more than fine with hate. Of course, when they say hate, they mean you're not allowed to disagree about the holiness of different protected groups or different people that we want to bolster in our voting coalition, right? That that's what they mean in that sentence. Cancel culture is the poison to those in power that have benefited from unchecked free speech. Again, another really interesting turn of phrase. So as many people have noted, I won't be the first one to come to this conclusion, but speech that is popular does not need protection. The speech of the powerful does not need the protection of the First Amendment or the benefit of free speech. They're the powerful. If you have any understanding of the proper way that power works, you know that no speech that is uh, that is popular needs this kind of protection. The powerful speech is always protected. So the idea that free speech or the First Amendment is there to protect the speech of the powerful is absolutely insane. Of course, it's there to do exactly the opposite. We can debate whether or not it does a good job with that. But the point is that obviously the powerful do not need the First Amendment. They are the powerful own the institutions, the powerful own the corporations, the powerful own the enforcement mechanisms that otherwise would punish people. The powerful own the platforms on which the speech would take place. It's those that do not have power that would require this protection in the first place, but he can't admit that the left are the powerful. The author can't admit that they're the ones in charge, that they're the ones that control these things, that their very ability to wield counter uh, cancel culture shows that they have the power and their victims don't. So instead he inverts it saying free speech and the first amendment are actually tools of the powerful, the ruling class. 
when conservatives on Fox News declare that this is a free country and that cancel culture is un-American, they forget that speech works two ways. It allows for discourse to take place, but grants all voice, uh, grants that all voices can be heard. In other words, straight white men, uh, you know, I'm told, I'm told. I'm told that this is Marxism um, or that this is some kind of very complicated dialectic. I don't know. It seems pretty, seems pretty clear to me. It seems pretty clear what the target is and who is to blame for the people who write these. I, they, they say it repeatedly. They don't stutter. They don't seem very confused about who they're trying to attack. Uh, and other people with power aren't used to getting pushback for the ways they conduct themselves. Yeah, certainly no straight white man in 2023 has ever heard any kind of pushback. Uh, that, that's certainly not happening in the public square constantly. And cancel culture has reset the way society can react. Yes, it's justified the complete destruction of people uh, that you don't like in the public square. Those who fear cancel culture may claim they fear suppression of speech, but it's accountability they want to avoid. And of course, accountability will be the watchword we'll see here. When British media personality Pierce Morgan publicly attacked Meghan Markle, the, the Duchess of Sussex. Sussex. Okay, so let's, let's enjoy this here for a moment. So we're talking about the ability of the powerful to control the powerless, right? That's the whole frame of this thing. That's what cancel culture is for, is to control, is for the, for the powerless to regain power over the powerful, right? And the first example that we're going to get is a rich TV host and literally royalty. Someone who is literally part of the royal royalty who has a, a, an amazing amount of money, fame, all this stuff. This is going to be the very first, first example he's going to use to show the battle between the powerful and the powerless. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson-Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org slash chosen. On March 20, uh, on, uh, on a March 2021 episode of Good Morning Britain, he didn't expect uh, the immediate backlash or what he'd soon uh, or that he'd soon be exiting the show. Morgan slammed Markle for seeming to criticize the royal family and complaining about the bigotry she faced within the family from the British press. Many viewed uh, Morgan's comments as uh, insensitive to Markle's mental health. Uh, so again, if you just create a mental health issue, all of a sudden you're the powerless. It doesn't matter if you're a rich actress who got, who married into a Royal family, uh, you're actually powerless now and racially insensitive, of course, given the often racist coverage she faced from the British tabloids as a black woman, the station had received over 57,000 complaints regarding Morgan's uh, comments uh, from disappointing views, including one from Markle herself. Public pressure is, uh, speculated to have played a role in Morgan's abrupt leaving 
of Good Morning Britain after nearly six years. So again, the very first example we get is the example of an incredibly powerful person using cancel culture to cancel another very powerful and rich person. And here we see what this is actually about. Wokeness, cancel culture, is being used here as a form of inter-elite conflict. To credit uh, to where it's due to, to Malcolm Shunes for this point, um, this is a particularly powerful weapon inside kind of elite circles in the West, particularly America, but obviously extends places like Britain as well. And appealing to this allows one set of powerful people to cancel or destroy other powerful people. So this is, allows you to climb the elite ladder, get rid of your enemies, uh, move past things that otherwise you wouldn't be able to by out jujitsuing your opponent using wokeness, using cancel culture. Of course, this inter-elite conflict is the first example our author uses when it comes to uh, the powerless battling the powerful, just, just two incredibly rich, privileged people uh, disagreeing with each other. Prior to social media and civil rights advancements, men like Morgan would likely have gone unchallenged. This is a really interesting pairing. Prior to social media and civil rights advancements, what civil rights advancement happened with social media? What's the uh, what's the connection there? I mean, I know the answer, but I would be interested in the uh, in the author's uh, response since he grouped them together. The civil rights advancement here is the ability to take you know, lawsuits or other uh, forms of punishment through what has become America's second constitution, the civil rights revolution, and apply it directly to the person through the mass public. It, you don't have to wait for the courts anymore. You don't have to wait for some kind of legal remedy. You don't have to wait for some kind of law or something being passed. Instead, you can use social media to directly meet out the punishment that your civil rights uh, revolution is meant to uh, level on your target. You, you can just aim the public and their uh, disdain at someone rather than needing the legal system. And that's the whole point of this. It'll be, you'll, you'll notice it'll constantly be about how the legal system's lagging behind and there needs to be some other way that people can manipulate uh, the public in order to punish those they disagree with. Cancel culture as we consider it today feels new because the digital platforms we have because of the digital platforms we have at our disposal. Previous generations were canceling, but the road to accountability was paved with many barriers, both technological and both technologically and socially. So this is interesting and somewhat true, right? Uh, every civilization has cancel culture. This is something that the right needs to understand just as well as the left, okay? Because actually the phrase cancel culture is very bad for the right. It doesn't actually point out the real problem. Every, uh, a lot of people, especially those who are kind of like in the middle, the IDW folks or, or kind of the, the, the leftist refugees who come over to the right after they get canceled on the left, they want to return to some kind of neutral scenario where no one is ever canceled. Everyone speaks their mind all the time. That never existed. It didn't happen. There are preferable levels of free speech, to be clear. Like there are preferable levels of people being able to speak their mind. And right now, I don't think we have it. But there is never some magical area where there is no judgment, where social institutions and culture have nothing to say about how people conduct themselves. The only thing is right now, it's all rapidly progressive, right? And so when 
conservatives talk about cancel culture and then they turn around and want to stop say like a uh, drag queen story hour or some you know all ages drag show where uh, trans strippers are exposing themselves to minors all of a sudden the left just comes back with i thought you guys were against cancel culture and the answer is uh we're for canceling evil stuff and we're against canceling good stuff that doesn't work in a society where you have two groups that have just fundamentally opposed views on what that is, which is where we're at, which is why the attempts to return to some kind of neutral scenario doesn't exactly work. All right, so uh, it was hard to fully cancel something when you weren't granted the same civil rights as your opponent, even more so when you could face even more persecution and exile for doing it. So you couldn't fully cancel something. What does that mean? You couldn't complete shut, completely shut people down because you didn't have civil rights. So civil rights in this context is the ability to shut down and cancel people. It's a really interesting way, and I think, unfortunately, a very honest way to express what most people mean by this, what most people who are using this want to use it for. Civil rights are not some kind of equal thing everybody has access to and everybody gets to use. It's a very specific tool that allows very specific people to completely shut down, cancel, get rid of, silence, ostracize the kind of people they want. And only certain people have access to it and other people don't, which is why it's so important for these kinds of advancements to happen, right? Once the internet began to take off in the 1990s, society began to see a shift in how the public could consider canceling with less gatekeeping. In 1997, what does that phrase even mean? Could consider canceling with less gatekeeping? What do you think canceling is? Right? With, again, what they mean in this case is my group couldn't silence people. My group didn't have all the power necessary to shut people down. And so I don't want others who had the power to gatekeep me away from my ability to destroy other people. It really is just pure friend enemy distinction. It's, it's just my friends should have the ability to cancel you and your, and your friends should never have the right to speak. That that's really all that's being said here. And of course, you know, you, you could be, you could face some kind of persecution or exile for doing so. So if you try to persecute someone, you might get persecuted back. Really funny, we just had to hear about actually how this is about the consequences of speech and holding people accountable. When you're held accountable for your speech and your attempts to cancel people, that's persecution. But when I hold you accountable for your speech, now I'm righteous, right? Now this is just the power of the unheard. Again, it's, it's just all friend and enemy at every point. Uh, in 1997, the Supreme Court acknowledged this major shift when it dealt with the first internet-related First Amendment case. The court wrote at the time that any person with a phone line can become a town crier with a voice that resonates farther than it could from any soapbox. Those who fear cancel culture may claim that they fear suppression of speech, but it's accountability that they try to avoid. Now, again, this is very interesting because this is something that the left hates. They hate that the internet lets us do this right now. They hate that the internet lets Joe Rogan or uh, you know other people have powerful podcasts that challenge the mainstream. In fact, they explicitly say this on a regular basis. You know, there, there's, there's whole exposés coming out of major media organizations about disinformation, the dangers of mis and disinformation. There's uh, some there's some uh, study in air quotes going around 
on Twitter uh, last week with a, a chart and a graph about like the percentage of uh, how dis uh, or how much disinformation exists on some of these podcasts. They're trying to generate metrics and trying to show scientifically, uh, which is, which is so adorable about uh, you know about how all these things are full of misinformation. So they hate that the internet gives a democracy of speech that gives a place where people can have this discussion. They hate that about the internet. But of course, at the moment, the internet is letting him say something that he wants, which is we should cancel people. So for this moment, the voice on the internet is fine. For the, for this moment, the fact that everyone can be heard is good. Uh, if you if you take it in any other context, it's bad, it's evil, it's a terrible attack on democracy. But just for this moment, it's okay. Cancel culture is a way for a new generation of people to practice free speech, except for the ones who are getting canceled, I guess. Uh, the way that we cancel today is more advanced because of our rights as people and our access to digital communications. What right gave you an advantage to cancel people? Uh, that, that's a very interesting right. I would like to see that formulated somewhere. Uh, what opponents of cancel culture get wrong is the act itself. It's not that what we're doing is new. It's how we're canceling that's different. Again, that part is true. He is right about this, right? It is not new. The cancel culture is not new. It's not anything different. This exists in every society. It's the degree to which and the and the uh, fur, uh, the level of uh, vitriol with which it can be leveled at people. Again, the internet allows it to completely and totally destroy someone's life in a way that simply didn't exist before. And at least that that part is true, even if you know we disagree about how good that is. It's not the fault of the general public that society is more progressive than in previous decades. Well, that's also true. It's not the fault of the general public. It's a very specific effort brought about by a class of ruling elites that wants to make sure that it can keep its political uh, formula intact. So he's right. It's not the general, it's remember, most of this stuff is not popular. Cancel culture is not popular. The things that people cancel in the name of, like trans kids or something, is not popular. These things are not popular. These things are pushed top down onto, uh, onto the population, uh, and they are made uh, prominent by media organizations by the law. Right, this uh, a lot of this stuff gets enshrined in the law. D uh, Joe Biden is just trying to do an executive order here that will uh, enshrine uh, diversity, equity, inclusion into every part of the federal bureaucracy, as if it wasn't already. And so, yeah, it's it it is true that it's not the general public's fault that society is more progressive. It is a very specific uh, uh, class of people who have decided to do this and to push this for the purpose of expanding the power of the government and the ability of the managerial elite to forward their agenda and the, and the progressives that have grafted themselves onto it. In fact, that should be the goal of democracy. So again, the goal of democracy is to make society more progressive, which again, doesn't make a lot of sense, right? If you have, if it's the general public's will, is what's supposed to make things more progressive, or the, if it's the general public's will that's supposed to determine democracy, but also the general public didn't make society more progressive, what does that mean? If the general uh, public is supposed to work through democracy to exercise its will, and they don't want wokeness, they don't want cancel culture, and yet society keeps getting more progressive and cancel culture becomes more invasive, then what do we have? 
because then it isn't a democracy or, or, you know, you guys know I'm not a huge fan of democracy. So there'll, there'll be plenty of, uh, there'll be plenty of critique there as well. But if we're going with what is supposed to be the theoretical basis of democracy, popular sovereignty, then obviously the voice of the people pushing against something that's unpopular should have the impact. But in fact, we see exactly the opposite. And now we see that his definition of democracy is that which makes society more progressive. Perhaps the consequence of a more democratic or progressive society, again, we just immediately conflate those terms, right? Which is why when they say, democracy they mean our democracy when they use the word democracy what they really mean is the advancement of our agenda democracy is progressivism progressivism is democracy and there is actually some truth to that for those who want to understand that better i do have a a video on why cthulhu always swims left why institutions don't remain neutral why a democratic process always brings about a leftward movement. And so if you want to check that out, I don't want to rehash that whole video here in the stream, but if you want to check that out, you can and to get more information on why this part is true, even if not in the way that they think it is. More democratic or progressive society is for the most uh, is for the most powerful to recognize the limits and control they once had. It's a direct call to get better or do better and to be better for communities that are often marginalized, says activist uh, Preston Mitchum. Okay, so here's the thing. Again, if you believe in democracy, if you believe in popular sovereignty, if you believe that the people are in charge and they should be determining these things, and those people are marginalizing a community, again, I'm not agreeing with this language, but let's just go, let's just take their own premise, their own frame for a second. Then doesn't that mean that the will of the people has decided that that community is to be marginalized and unheard? If you don't think that's true, then you're against democracy, right? You're against the will of the people. And this is the thing about democracy. It's always a Schrodinger's democracy, right? It's, it's good. It's good when we're looking at it or it's bad when we're not. It's, you know, democracy is good when it does the things we want it to do. It's bad when it's not. Uh, and, and it doesn't really matter what the people want, as long as if the people are doing what we want, then go, you know, go democracy. If not, then we need more of the voices of the unheard in the democracy to somehow shift the thing, even though we're specifically saying these are communities that are marginalized. They didn't have the influence. They're not the majority. I thought the whole point of the democracy was to have the people's voices heard, the majority opinion be the one that leads the discussion, but obviously that's not the case. Unfortunately, sometimes this must be done publicly to gain outgoing uh, support and get the point across uh, that uh, what happened was unacceptable and for accountability to be achieved. So again, the purpose is public whippings. That, that's the thing. It's we, we will beat you in public until everyone knows better than to disagree with us. That That's the purpose. That's what it's for. There's our author, Ernest Owens, there, I guess. All right. Uh, before uh, before we are calling it cancel culture, society uh, got caught up in the term political correctness. And this is true, right? This is nothing new. Again, it's weird that you have kind of the center left folks, the IDW folks, the, the, the radical centrists are always pretending that this just started. This is a recent thing. But of course, it's not right. This has been going on for a very long time. This is central to the American experience. 
for the last, you know, how many decades. So pretending like it just started when your buddy got thrown out of, you know, his professorship at Yale or you you lost your position at some Fortune 500 company is really dumb. But they do this all the time and they pretend and because they like the vast majority of political correctness. The vast majority of these people are fine with, with political correctness. They were fine with people getting their lives destroyed for the last iteration of the speech codes. It's just the current ones they don't write, the, don't like. The current ones transgressed on something that they care about. And so that's the reason that all of a sudden they're on the outs. What started as an inside joke of a phrase in the late 1980s became all the rage within the media in the 1990s as political pundits and public figures began to bash the term in pop culture. Again, not so much bash as completely in force, right? Once again, we're seeing this treated as some kind of outside movement. But of course it wasn't. The reason that political correctness had power in the first place is it was supported by the powerful. The powerful had the power to cancel. Political correctness was being enforced because the powerful were the ones who were meeting out the consequences. This is not a tool of oppressed people. This is not a tool of those out of power. It was a tool of the powerful. But we're flipping the narrative to make it seem like, uh, you know, the, all the powerful people just picked this up as some kind of joke. No, all the people who were being attacked by it picked it up as a joke. And that was their stupid decision because now it rules them in the same way that so many on the right or, you know, discount this stuff today. Oh, these people are crazy. No, these people aren't crazy. These people own you. Okay. And if they own you, you should probably think about why. Crazy people don't rule you like this. Like their ends might be crazy. We might look at their value system and say, that's insane. Right. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, these people are the ones in power. They own the institutions. They meet out the punishments that you are now abiding by. So they did something right. Probably best not to laugh at that. Probably best to pay attention. Uh, same thing is happening now. Powerful people are trying to suggest that they're being suppressed by the new ways that everyday people are reacting to their behavior. Uh, no, like average people who have okay jobs are getting destroyed. Okay. Yeah, sure. Like the Papa John's guy gets hit, right? And, and, and you know, uh, this is why I'm always really hesitant i don't like it when all of the conservatives rush to, to to you know like cartwheel in front of bill maher every time he says something quasi reasonable because bill maher's never getting canceled i mean look at this guy right he's still got this show on hbo forever like he's he's gonna be fine it's the guy it's the average person who's getting destroyed by this stuff they're the ones losing jobs who, and not able to feed their kids but those aren't the people that we're rushing to protect. It's it's these people who are already powerful. Again, this is inter-elite competition for the most part for, for a lot of these people who aren't actually getting hurt by it. The only place where this is relevant is when it's powerful people, powerful liberals attacking other slightly less liberal people. It has nothing, it has nothing to do with uh, you know, the powerful complaining about them being held accountable in general. Just like how political correctness was initially an inside joke that ran rampant, so uh, cultural uh, cancel culture uh, taken off as a phrase. Once those in power had a hand on the term uh, cancel culture, they attempted to redefine it as a pejorative phrase. It is a pejorative phrase. <laughs> it's literally about canceling people, stripping away its craftiness and mischaracterizing its intentions. No, its intentions are very clear to cancel people it's it's not a super complicated mechanism right you want to destroy people who disagree with you it's that it's not particularly clever or witty or um you know it has some kind of other hidden intention 
It's like any cool phrase that gets taken too seriously and blown out of proportion by a cranky uptight parrot who isn't hip to modernity. Yeah, I can always tell people are hip because they use the phrase hip to modernity. Uh, I, I might use the phrase modernity, but I know I'm not hip. Uh, so it's kind of kind of hilarious to uh, have someone trying to pretend like this is just uh, old people out of touch with what's what the cool kids are doing. Cancel culture. Oh, oh also for a moment, let's let's stop there for just a second. Uh, also for a moment, uh, if the cool kids are doing it, it's because the powerful want them to. By the way, uh, the cool kids do what's powerful. This is again like one of those very uh, one of those a lot a lot of confusion that people don't understand because they look at teenage rebellion or what cool kids are doing and uh, they say, Oh, they're fighting against the system. I mean, I don't think a lot of people say that anymore, hopefully, but, but this is, this is always the perception that was pushed, right. That, that people that, you know, like this are pushing against the system. No, they're not. No, they're not. These people are aligning themselves with power. They're, they're abandoning. There's a cultural revolution underway and they're abandoning the hierarchy of their parents who are losing cultural power to absorb the culture power of people who are rising in prominence. So actually, this is just people following power. It's not people fighting against it. Some suggest a rebranding. In terms of cancel culture, I think it's misnamed, said famed host and actor LeVar Burton. Jordy LaForge, why did you do this to me, man? Why, why have you done this? During an April 2021 interview, uh, six on the view uh there's a misnomer uh, there's a uh that's a misnomer i think we have a consequence culture and that uh consequences are finally encompassing everybody in society whereas they haven't been ever in uh, whereas they haven't been ever in this country see reading rainbow i should have paid a little more attention there but yeah no again this idea that this is a tool of the powerless no it's not you don't have the tool. You don't have the power to cancel people if you are powerless. If you are wielding popular opinion, if you are wielding the law, if you are wielding media, if you are generating headlines and creating outrage through the media apparatus, you are not powerless. This is not a voice of the powerless. It is the voice of preferred classes to cancel people who are not preferred by those in power. That's what it is. Uh, he further argued, I think it was, uh, I think it has everything to do with a new awareness on people who were simply unaware of the real nature of life in this country for people who have been other, othered since this nation began. I don't believe in reframing cancel culture as consequence culture is the right answer. Rather than run away from the term cancel culture, we should embrace it. Uh, again, this is, remember, the audience of this is the choir, right? This, this, this article doesn't exist to convince you or me or anyone in the middle, even those on the moderate left. It's, it's Rolling Stone. It's here to justify what radicals want to do anyway. So you have a dialectic. Is it too far? Is it too much? The answer is already chosen the answer is no and we should stay with this and we should embrace this and we are justified and righteous in our cause that's that's the audience this is for this is to tell the choir you're doing a good job keep it up stay strong right rather than one run away from the term cancel culture we should embrace it instead of changing the name of cancel culture we should set the record straight about what it really is 
And this is another thing that the left does really well. You got to give them, you got to give them credit for this. Okay. What the left does all the time is it takes a definition, it freezes it and forces it into public consciousness. And then the minute people attack it, the minute people uh, go about trying to dismantle it or bring some kind of rationale against it, they immediately say, oh, no, 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 you're just too stupid. You don't understand. You don't understand uh, what the term means, right? And so we do a lot of code switching. We switch the terms constantly, or we we redefine them or we parse them just infinitely until there's nothing left because they own the original term, right? And that's something you have to be very care, careful about when you get in the battle with the left. You need to understand the power of public definitions, okay? If a word has a public definition that is completely under the control of your enemy, you shouldn't use it, right? This is why like, the you know the dims are the real racist is always a stupid argument from the right because everyone knows that the left controls the power of the word racism now they may be true technically that the dim democratic party or people on the left progressives have racial hatred they most certainly do right but the people who own the mechanism for punishment of racial hatred or even the accusation, even if racial hatred doesn't exist, the people who can still punish you even if you don't actually have any real racial hatred are the left. They control all the mechanisms that actually mete out consequences for that term. So when the right tries to use it, it has no power because the right doesn't have a way to cancel anyone for racism, unless it's their own guys, right? <laughs> unless, unless they're canceling people on their own side for alleged uh, racism against protected classes of the left, right? But there's there's no mechanism for the right to punish you for being racist. They don't have it. And so the only thing that they can do when they say the Dems are the real racists is just go, oh, these people are hypocrites. And then the left is like, yeah, but actually race is uh, like power plus, plus privilege or whatever, you know, with the, the, the formula they redefine it to. Um, and then uh, prejudice plus uh, privilege or whatever. And then they're, then they're just out of it, right? They've just escaped. They redefine the word and it doesn't mean anything anymore. You can't hold them to it. Uh, let's see, where were we? Holding the most powerful people accountable uh, is never going to be a desirable or appealing thing to them. Sure. Uh, it's like uh, paying taxes, whether you call it an, an annual payment or a compulsory financial charge, it's still some of money being pulled out of your account, the IRS. All right, so we're going to equate cancel culture with the IRS. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with this. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually pretty comfortable with that, uh, with, with that uh, connection. Semantics often breed sensitivity. And when we consider who's the most alarmed by the language surrounding cancel culture, it's always those who are experiencing the brunt of it. To hell with their feelings, cancel culture is here to stay. This is a really fascinating piece of logic, okay? So semantics often breed sensitivity when we consider who's the most alarmed by the language surrounding cancel culture. Okay, so if you're the target, you'll be most alarmed. If you're the one, uh, here, let's break it. It's always those who are experiencing the brunt of it. So it doesn't matter what your feelings are at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how this actually makes you feel because you, just because you're the target of it, you're the one who's gonna get sensitive about it. Of course, you can't apply this to anything on the left, right? They get sensitive about every piece of language. And that's always their only justification 
for why you should stop using it, why you should be punished for using it. Did you use language that offended me? Did you use language that made me think for a moment that I might be denigrated? Did you use uh, language that's actually perfectly innocuous, but I can in some way construe as offensive? Then you must stop. But of course, actually, that's not the case at all. The left understands that you should not care at all what your opponent thinks about your language and that you should just slam people in the face with your terminology whenever and however you would like. They don't care about the feelings at all. They only care about the victory involved in using the phrase. History has shown us that there's never going to be a proper way to demand change from those who are invested in dictating our lives. Funny, I would say the same thing about the left. There's never going to be a proper way to tell the left to stop destroying the lives of children. There's never going to be a proper way to tell the left to stop just, you know, letting hundreds of thousands or millions of illegal migrants pour into your borders to depress the wages of people in the United States, making it impossible for them to get homes or jobs, increase criminality. There's never going to be a proper way to tell the left to stop sending, sending all of our money overseas to fight proxy wars so that they can line the pockets of defense contractors and their other uh, friends while letting people in middle America just suffer in the middle of an ecological disaster. There's never going to be an easy way to demand it, and there's never going to be a proper way to demand that. So interesting that you might put it that way. Respectability uh, politics will always make society, especially marginalized people, believe that they could be spared from harm if they only appeal to the oppressors in a particular way. Again, it's amazing how much of this rhetoric you can just turn around if you understand the actual power dynamic, right? The only reason he's using this rhetoric is he thinks that the right is in power or conservatives are in power. But actually, all of this rhetoric could be directly applied to the left, because if you sit around waiting for them to be impressed by your arguments, if you sit around waiting for them to respect you, to respect your needs, it's never going to happen. So fair enough. This is a good lesson on power. It's just he doesn't understand the way power is actually arrayed. Or maybe he does, and he still just needs to lie to his audience about it. Interesting thing. A lot of people, uh, again, remember that your opponents are not completely cynical. Um, they, they believe this stuff because they need to. Okay. So he probably does believe that the left represents marginalized communities. He probably does believe that the left is the one out of power and it's the right wielding all the power. Maybe not. You might say some of these people truly are just completely Machiavellian, uh, craven political actors, but really a lot of them, they just believe in this stuff. They believe the political formula they're spewing. They really do. As insane as it is, as, as obvious it would be to any of us who's in charge and who has power in this scenario, they really believe it. They believe every word, a lot of them. It's simply not true. Whether one uh, described same-sex marriage as marriage equality or love is love, bigots will be mad. Love is love. That's got an interesting direction here from the left. Hard to, hard to predict, I guess. The current uh, conversation on how to rename or reframe cancel culture is a distraction from its very intention. The fact that people, both powerful and less so, have been put on notice, uh, notice that whatever move they make can now be checked, not only by the courts, law enforcement, or government, but by the people, means cancel culture is essentially won the culture war. Again, fascinating insight there. Cancel culture has already won the culture, culture war. So we're already in power. 
It's an admission right here. We already won. We already own you. We already wield the tools. We already have the power. We're the ones in charge. And yet, let's talk about marginalized communities the whole time. Talking about the powerless versus the powerful. Again, uh, my, the only example he really gave this whole time, he did, I, I, I had forgot. I thought he gave another example in this article, but it looks like he doesn't. The, the only real example he gives is a super rich woman who married a prince versus another super rich TV celebrity. That's the only that's the only real example he gave. And that's supposed to be the example of the powerless versus the powerful. But we see actually, no, the culture war is already won. Cancel culture is already victorious. We already own the mechanisms of power. So he's admitting it right here. So maybe he does already know that he's in power, um, but he's still just going to use the framing of powerlessness anyway. Although still rich and influential, the most powerful people have been humbled by the digital accessibility of, of uh, everyday people uh, whom they once could simply dismiss or silence. And again, you can tell that these people are never under any real threat because they remain rich and powerful. Oh, Pierce Morgan is canceled. What does that mean? It means he's got another job in two months making more money, right? He's never get canceled any more than Bill Maher is going to get canceled. This isn't real cancel culture. That's why he, you don't you don't see this guy picking out examples of some average guy losing his job and his wife divorcing him and taking the kids because he can't pay the bills, right? That That's not the example he's using because he knows what that looks like. The only example he's going to give is these two people battling out in the court of public opinion over something that doesn't matter to rich people who have nothing to really lose in this scenario. He's never going to show any other sides of cancel culture for a society and democracy to evolve. We uh, we've needed new ways to further free speech, civic participation and collective action. Again, interesting that democracy is going to evolve by punishing speech. I mean, I think that is actually a function of democracy, but if you're a fan of democracy, then that's probably not the way you want to explain the evolution of democracy. Cancel culture has given a voice to the voiceless at a time when other aspects of our democracy have been threatened. Today, the voting rights we once thought were protected are under attack. So yeah, again, of course, uh, rights are under attack. We're, we're losing power. Why? Because you might have to show an ID to vote. Because you might actually have to show up to the polling place to vote. Had Curtis Yarvin on yesterday. And he had a lot of things to say about Ron DeSantis, things that he didn't like. But he said the one thing that Ron DeSantis did correct, the thing that he praised him for uh, that no one else did, was he fixed the voting system in Florida. And surprise, surprise, Ron DeSantis won by a landslide in Florida. Now, Ron DeSantis is a pretty popular governor. And I think he did have a lot of personal popularity in Florida. But I think he's absolutely right to point out that fixing the voting system was the most important thing DeSantis did to ensure that he retained power because it meant the left couldn't rig these elections the same way. And same thing here. You know, we're going to complain about Republican leaders bitter over the presidential cancellation of Donald Trump. That's an election. Okay. Now want to make it harder for marginalized communities to vote. No, they just actually want you to have to vote legitimately. But whatever, that's 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 not the point. They, they know what they have. They know the machine they've built. They know the advantage that they've gained through this. Uh, and they're they're certainly not going to give it up without a fight, but it's a fight that the Republicans should be engaging in rather than focusing on how many billions of dollars we can 
ship over to Ukraine, maybe we should fix our electoral system so we can have legitimate elections in our theoretical democracy. Such bold acts of intimidation harken back to Jim Crow. Of course they do. Everything does. Everything's Jim Crow. When powerful white men threaten the freedoms of black people, that's that's it. That's the entire, this is the entire narrative at the end of the day. It's the whole thing. It's, it's all they've got. And again, even though the only example we had was uh, one ri rich black actress uh, canceling one rich British guy. <laughs> that's, that's all they've got. Uh, now, these acts are called out more publicly on social media, influencing everyday people to call on companies and other leaders to take a stand more boldly. This is also great. Okay, imagine this level of delusion. In April 2021, uh, hundreds of Fortune 500 companies such as Apple, Amazon, Facebook signed a statement opposing any discriminatory legislation that would negatively impact people's ability to vote. Um, so you think you're the downtrodden. You think you're the uh, the exploited minority. You think that you're the marginalized voice, which is why hundreds of Fortune 500 companies like Apple, Amazon, and Facebook sign a pledge to be on your side, right? You're, you're the minority. You're the downtrodden. You're the ones out of powerful speaking out of power, speaking truth to power. But every company just has happens to be on your side. All, all of these evil global capitalist corporations that you spent, you know, decades and decades decrying just happen to line up on your side. What a what a coincidence! And all of a sudden, you're not so interested in shutting them down, huh? Weird. Wonder how that happened. Um, regardless of, or sorry, where's the? He starts the. Uh, the same here. Oh, regardless of our political affiliation, reads the statement, which ran as a two-page ad in the New York Times and Washington Post, we believe that the very foundation of our electoral process rests upon the ability of each of us to cast our ballot for a candidate of choice. Such a surprisingly bold move from powerful companies would have never happened if it had not been for the collective accountability of many of their customers. Uh, or the fact that you're actually the ones in power. Actually, you're the ones who own the HR department, uh, departments. You're the one that own all of the college professorships. You're the ones that own the media. You're the ones that drive the narrative. And actually, that's why these corporations dance to your tune, because you run the cathedral. You've, you've got the sense-making apparatus. You're the ones that distribute the ideas to the people below. It's progressivism that dominates. You're not fighting against power. You are the power. You have cancel culture power because you're the ones who have control of everything that would wield it. Everyday citizens who signed the digital petitions protecting outside, uh, protested outside of state buildings and used their social media platforms to shame a lack of response from those they held in high regard. There's a little bit left, but it's, it's not particularly interesting. So I'll go ahead and wrap that up here. But just to say, guys, uh, look, again, these people know what they're doing. Uh, they understand, oh, let me bring that up just so we can get the reference in case people have questions. Uh, these people know what they're doing. Uh, they understand uh, that they are the one, or they, they, even if they have this story about how they're protecting the oppressed, at the end of the day, they're the ones wielding power. They're the ones that have control. They want to use this mechanism and this whole thing about, you know, it's being, you know, cancel culture is good for democracy. Its whole purpose is just to preach to the choir. It's to tell radical progressive activists who already are on board with the destruction of their enemies that you're actually the good guys. You're the ones who are doing the good job. Keep it up. Um, all right. So I think we had a few super chats here. Let me grab them real quick. Uh, 
Formusul, I hope that's the right, or Formusus 2, maybe. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, for $5. Thank you very much. Legacy publications like uh, Rolling Stone have very few readers. I've heard from conservatives that they'll die for over 20 years. How do they keep the lights on? Okay, excellent question. This is actually a really good question. You're right. For for so many decades, right, we've heard, and you still hear this, you still hear people say this, go woke, go broke, right? Go woke, broke, go broke. But of course, that's not what happens at all, right? The, these publications that legitimately do have very few readers. No one's reading Rolling Stone, right? But but who the few people who do read Rolling Stone are very powerful, and that's the key, right? Yeah, sure, you're seeing these publications lose overall market share, and that's a good thing in general, don't get me wrong. But the reason they still exist is from, in many ways, they're often just propped up by investors who own them as like trophies, right? Something that the left does, that the right does not do and never does, is that the left uh, will sponsor people. The left will sponsor, uh, you know, they will fund someone just to keep them around. Uh, they do this all the time, right? That's like the entire college system at this point. It's just one giant jobs program for leftists that otherwise would be entirely useless. The left is willing to be patrons you know, to these people. They, they believe in patronage. We will create a class of artists and activists. We will spend our money and we will get nothing in return at the moment to eventually wield incredible power. And that's something the right just doesn't understand. You cannot believe how difficult it is to get people who are theoretically right-wing, who have millions or billions of dollars to invest in really simple stuff to like further their cause. They just won't do it. They, they can only see elections. And that's why, like, one problem with the obsession with democracy on the right, all they can see is the election. All they can see is getting the next guy into office. And then nothing happens. They don't understand why. They understand that the left has an entire network of people who are constantly being paid to fight you at every moment, to gum up every institution, to dominate you in every single way. And this is all they do. They don't have other jobs, right? Like, this is their job. They're not doing this uh, in their free time. This is what they get paid to do. They have a legion of these people that they can unleash on people at any moment. That's why cancel culture works, because there's a swarm that can be sent to destroy any person who disagrees with the left. But the right doesn't get this. The right doesn't understand the value of this. If it doesn't turn a profit, if it doesn't immediately yield something you can take back and say, oh, yeah, I got this guy in office and he lowered my taxes, then it just didn't matter, Right. And this is something the left understands all too well. They they understand the power of patronage, the power of paying people just to be on your side, just to say the things that you want them to say. And they do it, and it works, and that's why these things are around. Uh, Prague Skeptic for $4.99, thank you very much, sir. For progressives, the three forms of government are democracy, oligarchy, and monarchy. They're populism, Hitler, democracy, and Hitler, respectively. Yeah, so that that's very true. There's, you know, it's, you either have democracy or you have populism. And what's the difference between populism and democracy? Democracy is popular sovereignty we like, and populism is uh, popular sovereignty that we don't like. And if you have popular popular sovereignty that you don't like, of course, you will have get a mid-century German painter every time, right? That that's that's their con contention for sure. And so these people are constantly railing against popular sovereignty as long as it's kind of the, the, the one that they don't want. There, there's, of course, no 
standard. There's no quality, nor will there ever be. And you shouldn't expect it because they know, again, exactly what they're doing. All right. I think we've got everything there. All right, guys. Well, that's the Rolling Stone article. Like I said, it is insane, but it does have some important points I wanted to break down for you. Uh, It does look like parody to us, but you have to understand what these people are justifying to themselves. And you need to understand their delusions about power, right? They really do think that you're the ones in power. They really do think that uh, conservatives are the right or whatever in control. They really do have this delusion that they are fighting against uh, power for you know uh, marginalized communities or whatever, even if it means wielding a massive cancellation apparatus that can destroy anyone, even if it means all the corporations are on their side, it, that doesn't occur to them that that means that maybe they aren't the little guy anymore. Uh, or, I mean, there are some people that do, but there are those completely cynical actors. But again, for most people, they really do believe this stuff. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate your questions and you hanging out. If you have not subscribed, please go ahead and do so for this channel. If you want to go ahead and watch this on Odyssey or Rumble, any of those alternative platforms, they're also down below. You can catch these streams on Blaze TV. Uh, of course, if you want to listen to this as a podcast, make sure that you go ahead and uh, subscribe to the Orin McIntyre podcast on Apple, Spotify, any of the major platforms and leave a rating or review when you do. That really helps out. Thanks for coming by, guys. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.